Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider-talk, the amazing spider-talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mischievous Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this special, special episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We're going a little bit off book here. But either way, we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic and film universes in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, today uh, we'll be doing something special and a little bit behind schedule, but hopefully uh, with uh, some more insights born from that time. So if you haven't figured that out yet, we will be discussing our thoughts on Avengers Endgame and the Spider-Man Far From Home second trailer, as well as our thoughts about where we think the Marvel Cinematic Universe might be headed. Uh, and if, as if it doesn't need to be said, Dan... Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. We're going to be spoiling the heck out of everything here. Uh, so if you haven't seen these movies yet or have been under a rock, uh, you might want to stop your podcast now. Otherwise, it's full steam ahead. Yeah, and go see these movies or watch this trailer before we ruin it because that is not an experience that I want to be a part of ruining for anyone. <laughs> But as always, this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show, do all of our research, and pay for all the fees that go into the show, whether it's hosting, movie tickets, comics, etc. There's a lot of things that rack up. So if you enjoy the show and you want to help us to continue doing these while getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly... Why not check out our show notes, check out our Patreon page from those show notes, and then consider joining our team. And if you do find that consideration valuable, click on that button, join our team, and have all the fun that all of our other Patreon members are having. And to that point, this week, we'd like to thank our newest patron, that's Mike D'Arginio, for helping us make these shows and for joining our team. Thank you, Mike. Yes, Mike. Thank you so much. So, so Dan, without much further ado, I guess it's time to say we're in the end game now. So, Mark, I got out to see this thing opening night. I just rushed out of work, went straight <laughs> to the theater with a seven o'clock showing of it, hoping that no one would ruin it while I was walking in saying, you know, Darth Vader is Luke's father Duh. or whatever. <laughs> Um, and I managed to avoid all spoilers for this thing and had a good time. You saw it a week late. So uh, I guess I'm curious, did you manage to avoid all the spoilers? Yeah, you know, for the most part, yes. I mean, I, I, I had my blinders and my earmuffs on. I mean, the, the one thing I had, 
um, kind of sort of spoiled for me. I was on Instagram uh, that during that week between the opening and seeing it and was just kind of quickly scrolling through. And so someone posted a photo of the kid from Iron Man 3. And I was like, huh, that's a random thing to see in my Instagram feed. That's got to have something to do with Endgame. And wouldn't you know, Dan, I was like the only one in the movie theater who knew who that kid was at the end of that movie. So <laughs> I guess that's a good spoiler. I don't know. <laughs> it probably was, although it probably set you up for waiting for something longer than you needed to. Like, I mean, like I was like, what, is this kid going to like show up with the Soul Stone or something? What's going on? <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be interesting. Uh, well, yeah, I guess if there's anything to be spoiled, that's probably the best one to have spoiled because most people who watched the movie were like, had no idea who that person was. Yeah, definitely. I, someone else also did tell me that Jim Starlin was going to be in it. And I mean, fortunately, I recognized him immediately, even though we never got him on the show when we were at Terrificon, Dan. But I, I got a good look at him when we were there at that time. So, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I totally didn't see him. What moment is he in the movie? He's in the support group early on. Uh, he's he's one of the one of the people grieving in the support group. Oh, yeah. You know what? I thought he looked familiar. That's so funny. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's because one of the Russos is the one telling the 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 their their the story about going on a date, but he's one of the other people that's not Captain America in the scene. So. Oh yeah, I don't know if we're gonna get to this later in the show, but like, uh, yeah, the first gay character in a Marvel movie. Um, <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> not not a fan of that being the moment, but okay. Uh, I mean, I, I'm all for it representation, but. You know, this is a whole other conversation for another time. I just It's weird to have that be the big moment in the Marvel movies, which are, like, relatively sexless otherwise. Right, um, right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Mark, before we get into, off on other weird topics, uh, what did you think about the film overall? Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, it, there was something very cathartic and um, satisfying and gratifying about it. I mean, it definitely felt like... The culmination of all this work and 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 movies that it was meant to be. Um, with that said, I do feel it kind of pales in comparison uh, to Infinity War, which I, I you know kind of did everything in terms of the ambition and and bringing all these like random plot threads together in this very big explosive way. I feel better than Endgame did. Um, I feel like Endgame kind of suffered with some some pacing issues early on. I mean, not just in terms of like it not being action packed, but like it just like it, it, it felt like they were kind of struggling setting things up um, in terms of what they ultimately wanted with certain characters. I felt like they also certainly in the first third of it, like when they were going for some of the humorous moments that the Marvel movies are known for, they, they kind of went lower than they should have. I mean, kind of played for some cheaper laughs. And I think that at this stage, given the gravitas of this movie and this and this arc uh, of story that they're telling, you know, the, the, it wasn't truly it didn't it didn't feel like it matched well. So there were definitely some groaners in my theater where, where you know, things were supposed to land that went silent. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I might have laughed at a few things. Not, I don't want to say pity laugh, but just like. I was probably the only one laughing because I was like, ah, that's one of their jokes. Let me laugh. <laughs> um, but I mean, with that said, I mean, even in some of the slower moments early on, there's a lot of interesting stuff that they're trying to tell here, especially as it relates to like 
loss and grief and that idea of moving on. And then, of course, the payoff that we ultimately get in the last hour, hour and a half of this movie is just so gratifying. I mean, we, you know, you hear the word fan service and sometimes it has a negative connotation. Uh, but for me, this is an instance where it's fan service in the very best way, uh, the way it's meant to be. So that's that's kind of, you know so obviously I end up on like the very positive side for this movie but it's not perfect there are things that don't work and that's okay cuz it ultimately is a great movie but where, so where are you on on the fence here I agree with most of the things you say I, I did feel the the pacing very deliberately in the beginning I think some of it in a good way like I think all the scenes we get to deal with grief are mostly strong. The opening scene with like Hawkeye is unforgettable and it's sort of like once upon a time in the West nod. You know, we get some really nice moments. I, I loved, um, you know, Ant-Man returning and, you know, exploring his home and the wanted ads and the memorials. And, and it was really interesting to see, you know, the kind of, the kind of world, you know, after the snap stuff. And, I thought the five years later, which we'll talk about, was really bold. Like, bold in a way that the, you know, Thanos snap was also bold. Um, I don't know if all of it works, but I, I appreciate the film for even going there. Because I, I did not imagine that that's what we were going to be getting. But yeah, I, I think the first half, there's a lot of convenient stuff done with characters to set the plot moving forward that I don't... It just didn't work for me. I'm not talking about the mouse, which fr- frankly, the mouse is the hero of this film. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 I like all of that stuff, but you're right. There were some moments that didn't necessarily work. I, I felt like some character stuff that was a little short changed, specifically uh, like Iron Man and Hulk related things that I didn't work. We'll talk about in greater detail, but um you know, overall, the feeling of love is the same as yours, which is, like, really satisfied. I feel like this movie had an impossible task to achieve, which is, like, wrapping up and paying off the ending of Infinity War. It had to make that count while also knowing that it was going to bring people back. It had to, you know, usher out the old Avengers whose contracts are, are winding up. And it had to pay off 10 years of storytelling. And I think... It does most of that incredibly well, uh, and I, I really appreciate it for that. And I think it couldn't be quite as shocking as Infinity War, which is like really the thrill of it, but it doesn't do like a Return of the Jedi where you're like, oh, yeah, it, it ended the series with a little bit of a clunk. Uh, this thing to me is like it is everything we could have dreamed this series would end on, and, and I think thankful for that at the very least i guess you know one of the big things to talk about in terms of like mechanics that they did is this whole thing of time travel and and i have a feeling you you know dan you're an astute movie person uh i have a feeling you have some opinions on how they utilize time travel in this movie well i love how much they go to the length to really set up the rules of the time travel and like you know look I, I will go to bat for Back to the Future Part 2. I think it's a really <laughs> fun movie that often gets short shrift. I think the, the visual effects of going back to all those films is really fun. And I think here, it's exceptionally fun as well. I mean, what a way to wrap up 10 years of movies and to like revisit like some of the greatest hits 
of the series, and maybe not the greatest hits when we're talking about Thor: The Dark Dark World. Dark World, hey, bold choice. (laughs) Yeah, bold choice. But I I think, in some ways, the things they do with that actually end up making Thor: The Dark World like a richer movie and a more interesting movie. Like you know, seeing more of like Freya and 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 flushing flushing her out as a little bit of a character is is certainly uh, to its benefit. But I didn't love how we got there. I feel like Tony Stark inventing time travel just by like in an afternoon going like, I've never focused my attention on time travel before. Oh, I just invented time travel is kind of a like backdoor cheat to undoing a lot of what was done in Infinity War. And, you know, ultimately we were going to get there. I just felt like maybe have them be a little cleverer about how that's arrived at. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Although it is interesting to me that, you know, putting aside the randomness of Tony inventing time travel, I mean, like he is the character of all the core Avengers that, you know, with this time jump seems to be in the best place. So it just seems to make sense that he would have to be the one that would, especially the way they ultimately paid off his arc, um, he would be the one that would... (laughs) basically have to risk it all because of his you know his need to protect and his need to save the world uh you know through his own kind of narcissism and his own but it's but it's nice narcissism when it comes to tony stark um it, it is although it ultimately if you look at his like choices in this film they, they i think even in his grand sacrifice he's still being very selfish because he's making everybody else like suffer through the five years or whatever <laughs> so he his child can stay alive but i get it i get it yeah, uh, it is. It is. It is selfless at the same time. Uh, I think Tony has the best arc of any character in this movie, and and the beginning of the movie really reinforces it. I love the moments with him and Nebula on that ship, and and just kind of watching the character go through. Like in many ways, it's like them redoing a lot of Tony's arc, which is like him, you know, kind of refusing the call to action for his own selfish needs and. And ultimately being put in a place where he needs he can't help but be the good guy and 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 you know put himself in danger for the world and I I liked everything about his arc the scenes with him and his father in the past I thought were really beautifully written um, I mean Tony fittingly you know is the guy who is the heart of this Marvel Cinematic Universe from which all things spring forth even Spider Man's design and Uncle Ben stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, like I felt like he was really done well in this movie, and and, and very fitting. And Downey knocks it out of the park in terms of a performance. Um, but let's talk a little bit also about the setup to like this five year jump, which was this very unceremonious killing of Thanos early on, right? I mean, this thing, this this my my jaw was on the floor when I first saw this scene. I mean, I don't know how you reacted to it. Well, I mean, it's it's there's a few things going on. I mean, it's very graphic in one. Like, I didn't expect to see them, like, dismember this guy, um, you know, in quite the way that they did. I mean, Captain Marvel comes in and literally wrestles him to the ground. But then Thor just, like, has at him. Um, but for me, like, one of the most unsettling things that I've ever felt watching a mainstream, you know, motion picture like this is there's an image after they kill Thor, not Thor, Thanos and Thor just kind of walks away from the camera and he just walks out of focus. And you really like it's right before the time jump. It's like, well, what next? You know, like that's a really powerful moment because like, even when, you know, Thanos snapped away half the universe, 
you knew what next was. They have to get revenge on Thanos. But after you kill Thanos and find out there's nothing you can do, having Thor just walk away with no real goal, I thought was really powerful in its kind of how it made me feel so confused. Again, that kind of plays into... It it does end up playing into this idea of, which I thought was very ballsy storytelling for a movie like this, Um, you know, in terms of how they address and deal with grief. I I appreciated the fact that they kind of, you know, instead of like it being, you know, they do this time jump and instead of it being like, well, you know, half the universe is gone and we'll never forget. But, you know, we've kind of forgotten. I mean, like the world is shattered, you know, and and no one has moved on. And that's kind of like stunning to me. I mean, like there's a baseball, you know, they show City Field, you know, home of my Mets. Um, but like baseball, it seems as baseball doesn't even exist anymore because, you know, why would there be baseball in a world where half the universe disappeared? Right. Yeah. Um, so many of those images are really striking from the like memorials to the boats, all like just taking up more at the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, again, like very, very brave and daring storytelling that I was not expecting in this movie. And yet, you know, kind of in juxtaposition to that, then you have like somehow, you know, when we jump forward, how some of these characters themselves have kind of adapted. I guess the character I was most disappointed in in terms of the evolution was Thor. Um, You know, like we've heard stories about, I mean, at this point you've probably heard about the fat drunk Thor stuff. And it's not even that I found it offensive or anything like that. And I I do appreciate that they were were showing Thor, you know, essentially he has post-traumatic stress disorder and he's trying to, you know, this is how he's reacting to you know, I mean, hey, it's his. It, it is kind of his fault that this all happened. I mean, he should have gone for the head, as as Thanos tells him in Infinity War. Well, not um, only that, but he also lost literally everything he had. You yes, know, like, uh, yes. and they address this, and you know, in the thing, you know, he's like, in the last movie when he's talking to Rocket, he says, like, you know, he's never fought me twice. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Thor has never lost, not to mention losing every single thing he cares about. Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I, so I do appreciate where they're coming from, but like, I just felt like given some of the other elements of gravitas and, and, and somberness and, and, you know, not that, that this movie needed to be like a funeral dirge for three hours. Lord knows that wouldn't have been entertaining, but like, I just felt like some of the stuff with Thor, like the Fortnite stuff and just the, just the excess of, of, you know, the the fat jokes and stuff like that. It just felt beneath what this movie sh- needed to be or should have been, you know? Like, it just it, it felt cheap in a lot of instances. And um, it, it did detract from my enjoyment of the first part of the movie, which is why I was talking about some of the pacing issues, you know? It just felt like, it felt like, uh, you know, as this thing is chugging along, there would be a cheap Thor joke in there. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't want to be hearing this right now. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'd re- like, like, let's get to the story. Like, I, I'd rather see more of the serious stuff with Cap and Widow and all that, you know? It's funny be- that you say this because when they do try to mine the Thor stuff for emotional, you know, weight. Sorry, weight is probably not the right word to be using, but it <laughs> does work, you know? Uh, like him getting the hammer back, you know, and... and finding himself worthy is a powerful moment, especially for those who may have gone through PTSD or depression in the same way to still find out that you're worthy, no matter the state that you're in 
is a powerful statement. And I think there was a version of this where they discover Thor. And I think the film had the right idea. You need a visual signifier for how depressed Thor is. But instead of making fun of that, I feel like, you know, you could have used it as a powerful moment. Like, gosh, even Thor kind of has like let himself go in, in a way. Like this is like what happened. He's so lost, you know, to himself. Um, because there are people that I've seen online that f- found value in seeing uh, an overweight Thor and and a depressed Thor in that how he still finds value in himself, you know, even in that way. And like when he, you know, does become worthy again at the end, he's not like suddenly thin, you know, he just has his hair done up. <laughs> you yeah, know, uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think there's value to that, but it it, it almost undercuts itself by by making those jokes. And the same would true with like the Fortnite stuff, because, you know, as a gamer, I don't specifically play Fortnite, but as a gamer, it was weird to see the gaming thing kind of being made fun of as if gaming is something that's linked to letting yourself go. Right. You know, which is weird because the, the Avengers movies have had crossovers, specifically Avengers movies with Fortnite that have been very popular. So it's like an ad for Fortnite, but it also seems to be like knocking Fortnite, um, yeah, the culture of it, yeah, which is a weird thing because um, I feel like they also did this in Captain Marvel, which is like very like pro military, but it also is kind of like fighting against the groupthink of militarism, right? Um, right. So they kind of seem to be like happy to advertise for other people, but also be like quick to you know, knock them down a peg or two. Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting what they're setting up. Uh, you mentioned Captain Marvel here. I mean, that's like I guess another issue I had with this movie. I mean, I I think I enjoy the Captain Marvel solo movie more than you did, um, and liked what they did with her character there. But like here in in Endgame, at least she she felt very added on. Um, didn't add much to the story. I mean, she's kind of out of it for most of the movie anyway. And I found like the reasoning how they wrote her out was kind of lame. I mean, and then when she does come in, she seems super high powered more so than all of the others. And yet like, can't just like end the movie in a snap, no pun intended, you know, the way you would think she would based on her power set. So it just, it just kind of felt very dissident and, and at odds with, and, and I'm just curious, you know, what their ultimate end game is, again, no pun intended, with, with Captain Marvel in this in this universe going forward. Yeah, and Feige has said that he is going to introduce some weaknesses for the character. Like, but that, you know, it, it seems clear to me that this is the version of the character, and they shot this before they shot Captain Marvel. So it's kind of like almost pre-alpha, you know, like this is like... Captain Marvel beta, you know, uh, like they just didn't have the character quite figured out yet. I found her in this movie to be like joyless in a way that I didn't find her in her own movie. I mean, I think I'll be frank. I think the Captain Marvel movie is one of the weaker Marvel films and not because she's a woman. And I know that that's rich coming from a podcast like ours that has had very few women guests. Right, right. It's something I would like to change about the show, but I just thought it was missing a first act. That's kind of my big problem with that movie. But like to compound it here, I just felt like she didn't really have any kind of like fun moments. She's just kind of this overpowered force that is like, I found the excuse for her not to be in the movie at first, like a good excuse, you know, like there are other planets that don't have Avengers. Great excuse. 
But then what is her reason for not being a part of the time heist? You know, first of all, it literally is losing no time in her day. She would come right back the minute after she left. And is there something more important going on than saving half the universe? Uh, I just felt like they just conveniently wrote her away in a way that I didn't buy. Yeah. Not to mention that she gets slapped by Thanos in the end and gets like sidelined, like you, yeah, you, yeah. Re- you referred to. If I was coming to this movie as like a, uh, a Captain Marvel or Black Panther fan, and God knows there are a ton of them considering how much money those movies made, you know, I, I think I would be a little let down with the, both of these films. I mean, at least Black Panther gets like a, a, an applause point when he enters. <laughs> it's true. It's uh, yeah. true. They were like, oh, give him more stuff to do because people love this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I my 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 theater a week later literally cheered at that moment for, you know, a solid 30 seconds. So, you know, it's just That's true. It's just the world that we're in right now, which is great. In regards to um, other characters that are reintroduced in the film, I, I thought that um like the Hulk and the Hawkeye reintroductions after the five years were kind of disappointing. Mm. Like I like where we got with both of them, but I felt like both weren't earned. Like, I mean, well, the Hawkeye change is earned the Hulk one. I'm like, I wish we had seen his journey to become professor Hulk. I feel like the Hulk of all the characters has the most going on off screen between movies. Yeah, like it just feels like they were. They decided we're not ever making Hulk movies, so let's pretend there were Hulk movies um, that we never got to see. Right. I like Professor Hulk. Yeah. yeah well, it's especially odd because I mean, you know, when we're last left with Bruce Banner, he can't change into the Hulk. So not only was there, I mean, so much happening off screen, but like, I mean, he figured it out and then completely changed. The character itself, you know, it's just very odd, you know, and, and, and you know, the Hawkeye stuff didn't bother me. What, 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 what didn't sit right with you in terms of Hawkeye's reintroduction as, as, as I guess as Ronin, right? I, I mean, do, although do they ever refer to him as that in this movie? No, but it's clearly the Ronin design, although ultimately not a lot is done with, with that. I think for me, it was more than mechanically how it felt. I felt like the scene where he was reintroduced was really clunky. Like the kind of off-camera sound effects of him killing people and stuff, I just found really clumsily done and not convincing. Um, like this kind of single camera move, it felt very like TV to me. The way it was like, I felt. I mean, it's nice to see color in these Marvel movies for once, but even then, I thought it was kind of overlit and looked like a phony set, and it really took me out of the movie. Um, so it's like I don't mind what they do with the character because. You know, Lord knows watching your family do that is going to change someone. Right. It's more like I just didn't buy that scene, um, yeah. if that makes any sense. No, it does. That definitely does. Now, in terms of characters changing from one movie to the next, but maybe not necessarily due to jumping ahead of time, I guess it would be jumping back in time. I, I thought I was I was interested in when they finally brought Thanos back, what they did with that character. So now this is, of course, Thanos from 2014. So it's it's four years prior to Infinity War. And yeah, I, I feel like, you know, Infinity War, as we've discussed, I think, on this show, was I mean, in many ways it was Thanos' movie. It's it's his arc, you know? I mean it's it's is he it's his hero's journey, even though he's not the hero or he's not a hero. <clears throat> um and I think, you know, making that choice and being so bold about it is what 
again, made Infinity War such a rich movie and, and really made it complicated because, again, we're not supposed to side with Thanos and I'm not one of those Thanos was right people uh, that you find on Reddit or wherever or 4chan or <laughs> whatever those boards are. Um, but I, I, I do feel that his philosophizing is interesting. It, 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 whereas here, he feels a little more one-dimensionally kind of, I feel in a lot of ways is more indicative of like, I think a problem I have with a lot of the Marvel movies, which is like that kind of one note villain. Uh, I mean, he's not necessarily twisting a mustache one dimensional, but like, you know, this version was not as rich as what we saw in infinity war. And, you know, it makes sense because this is, you know, from the past and, you know, you would be led to believe if you're no prizing it, that the character grew himself to get to the point where he, you know, was, you know, who he was in Infinity War, and he's just not there yet here. You know, it, it was kind of disappointing because, you know, again, you want to you want to see this, a character like this get his comeuppance, and it was a little less satisfying for me here because, again, the character just felt a little dumbed down to me. It's also really just not the same guy, you know? Like, yeah. he, he hasn't made that choice yet, although I thought the mechanics of how they did, like, the revelation that where he gets to watch himself be victorious was really neat with the whole nebula shared mind thing. Yeah. Uh, I wish they had done something even more clever with that. Like I felt like Thanos didn't use that information in a truly clever way to kind of like use it against the Avengers. So in that way, I think you're right, but I kind of like this because it really just shows you like immediately he's like, well, you know, I've seen how the universe has reacted to what I did, and you guys are only going to, like, fight me on this and be unhappy about it. So I'm just going to reboot the whole universe instead. And to me, it really, like, showcased, like, no, Thanos was never out to save the universe or do anything truly altruistic, even through his twisted perspective. He really just wants power and carnage and the ability to kill a lot of people. Like, he wasn't doing anything good. He really is, deep down, truly a bad dude. And, like, it might be simplistic, but in a way, it, it's like, it puts to bed those, like, kind of, you know, it's like you can see everything from a villain's point of view, like, to some degree. But at the end of the day, he's a monster, you know? And yeah. uh, I, I appreciated that about him, that, like... You know, of of course he would react to seeing his victory in that way. He always wants more. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It's less complicated and feels less rich as a result. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, if you don't mind, let's talk about the time heist, I would say. And, and you know, what they keep referring to as the time heist and, and just some of the different um, plot developments that happened there. Um, there was a lot of fun here. Like you said, we're revisiting these past moments and, and kind of making them richer. Uh, I mean, the, the stuff in New York City 2012, I thought was that to me, those were some those were jokes that landed, um, you know, Hulk using stairs. And um, that know, was just, the first point where the movie really clicked for me, where I was like, OK, this is fun. Like, yeah, th this yeah. is what I was hoping for. And Loki getting away, which now explains how he's going to have his own series in a little bit, you know, like, I mean, things like that. I mean, it it, it, it it sets things up and it works. And then it also, like, allows Tony and and Steve to go back in time further, where we get a very DH to Michael Douglas. Always a good time. <laughs> um, but also, like you said, that great moment between 
Tony Stark and Howard Stark, um, and it just and. and just so much there was just so many great moments kind of in that and then you know we are we we do go to and i always forget the name of the planet but with the soul stone thank you and we have this you know basically black widow sacrificing herself uh to get the soul stone and you know this is this is potentially problematic i mean i i think i ultimately am okay with it but this was tough right yeah, I mean, I understand them fighting over this. My problem with it is more like the mechanics of it. I just thought it was really goofy how they were doing this. In a moment that's supposed to have a lot of, like, gravitas, watching them kind of, like, use their powers against each other, I thought was kind of silly rather than, like, really keeping me on the edge of my seat. And I also didn't love how, like, the stakes of it weren't really that clearly established. Like, up to that point, I thought, well, they're just going to kill themselves they're going to get the soul stone and they'll undo it, you know, but it's the scene afterwards where we're told, like, if you die for the soul stone, you're dead, period. Um, although they kind of seem to undo that a bit later on in the movie in, in a few ways. You know, it was weird because, like, I didn't invest a lot of emotion into it when it was happening, only to find out later that I should have. And it really robbed me of Black Widow's, like, kind of victory there, or I guess like, you know, a redemption arc. But I also, at the end of the day, kind of feel like it was Hawkeye's moment to die. I mean, like after becoming such a monster, you know, as Ronan, like it felt like that was the conclusion to his arc. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even if he could bring his family back, does he deserve that redemption after everything he did is, a, is an interesting point. But then you could say, does Natasha deserve that redemption? And And, and I also feel like of all the characters of all the Avengers, she really hasn't had a moment in these movies, which is kind of disappointing. That's a that's a larger issue, but like, and it's sad that her moment has to be her death. But at the same token, what else has she really done in this movie that's been a grand gesture? Yeah, nothing. I just I feel like it's kind of unfortunate that her grand gesture had to be her death. I I don't know. I I I didn't love it. I, I'm going to be honest. Um, but I, I, I do want to put it out there. I do really like, and I tweeted about this, I really like the design of Vormir. And watching this movie, I, it, it immediately stuck out to me in a way it didn't in the last movie, that the two, like, you know, spires or whatever above it, like, really resemble uh, the World Trade Center towers. Yeah. The, the tin twin towers. Which is interesting because so much of these movies is about 9-11 and like post-9-11 America. Yeah. To kind of like that design to me just can't be an accident to kind of put the like saddest place in the universe where you have to jump to your death. Like, I I don't know. Like those two things just can't, to me at least, don't seem, I can't separate them in my mind. I don't know what to make of it, but I find it really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I never thought about it until you pointed that out on social media. And it, I mean, it's very striking. And like you said, the, the, the symbolism and imagery makes complete sense. So, yeah, I mean, I wonder if I will ever address that in any way. I mean, it's certainly interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the New York City 2014 stuff. Uh, I, I thought that was, or 2012 rather, um, I thought that was the most fun of of all the bits. I mean, we got like America's ass out of that, and yeah. we got the hail Hydra moment, which is bound to piss off a lot of the <laughs> people on the internet. Although I haven't heard anybody be angry about that. It's funny. It's one of those things where 
I think without being a comic book fan, it's an Easter egg that works because I mean that was so much of of Winter Soldier, obviously. Um, and like even the, how they kind of, even though it's not the same timeline, how they kind of redid the elevator scene in that movie. You know what I mean? Which was really interesting. But yeah, I, I, I certainly people who follow the comics closely, which at the end of the day is a much smaller percentage of people who follow the movies. You know, I'm sure some of them were probably burned about that. And then, you know, but like, you know, kudos to Nick Spencer and, and Marvel for, you know, throwing that in there. You know, like I, I, I appreciate it. I, 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 I smiled at it. And, and it, it was, was the biggest laugh line in the movie for me. I, I thought that yeah. was amazing. Yeah. Um, the Cap versus Cap fight is great. I love how he sees his young self and he's just like making fun of the costume and like how naive he is, you know. Yeah. I could do this all day. And he's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I thought that was really great. You know, it really sells the kind of longevity of the series and the, the seeing of the behind the scenes of the Avengers where like after Loki is captured, you know, them getting like a coffee or whatever. I was like, this is all really fabulous uh, stuff. I, I, I was thrilled by that one. And then, of course, we've got the Thor The Dark World, which I think shocked everybody in the world. Of Like, why are we returning to Thor The Dark World? You know, I mean, but we got some... I felt we got some good moments out of it. Like you said, we got, um, you know, Thor and his mother, and I feel like that really deepened the relationship there. And, you know, Thor got to see himself as worthy again, which I think was an important development for the character. So... Um, it worked in its own weird way. And, you know, everyone on Asgard referring to Rocket as Rabbit got a lot. I, I, I laughed at all the Rabbit stuff in Infinity War and I still laughed at it in this movie. I don't know. It just works for me. It's a good joke. Can we get a whole movie of Rocket Raccoon running around Asgard? Like, that was just so fun. Um, I'm glad we didn't get to see him remove the a- Aether or whatever from Jane Foster. <laughs> they clearly couldn't get back from this move for this movie. Like, they definitely used some other footage to kind of like insert her there into that one moment. Uh, But uh, that was like fun. Nevertheless. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I was, I don't think I'm quite as negative on Thor, the dark world as most people are, but um, you know, it was an odd inclusion, but I felt like they justified it for sure. Definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, again, I mean, outside of, of Vormir, I mean, like, I feel like all of these stone moments were, were, were good stuff. I mean, Banner, working with um, the Ancient One to get the Time Stone back. I mean, I thought that was... And, of course, that sets up um, another plot device that, towards the end, I think is a little questionable, which is like, oh, well, we have to put everything back where we found it, or or what, you know, or everything. Right, how do this- you put the, the uh, you know, Aether the back inside of Jane Foster? Well, how do you, you put know? the Soul Stone back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Red Skull's got, like, a return policy. Right, well, you know, I know you killed your friend, but... <laughs> <laughs> like, is Natasha still down there at the end, you know, when Cap goes back? I mean, what's, what's going on, you know? <laughs> There's so many stories I want to see. Like, I want to see Cap go back to Vormir and confront, confront the Red Skull again. I mean, that would be a cool moment. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, how do you turn the, you know, Power Stone or whatever back, or is it the Mind Stone back into the Tesseract? Do they just turn back into a cube? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, no prizes for Laura here, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
with all that aside, I mean, do we want to talk about obviously the the climax of this movie and just some of the moments that came out of that? I mean, because it's it's. I mean, again, this is this is what it's all about. We all kind of knew what this was all about. We knew the second the snap, or I figured the second the snap happened in Infinity War, we would all be building to this moment of everyone together in one big orgasmic fight scene. And that's what we got in spades here, right? <laughs> Very clearly established by Brian Hitch's work in The Ultimates, I felt. Like, it looked like an Ultimates comic to me. Definitely. I mean... I mean, obviously, preceding everyone coming back, we have Cap holding Mjolnir, which, I mean, just, I mean, I, I legitimately yelped in the theater when it happened. I don't know what the, what the reaction was in your in your showing. But I, I, I felt like I just, I yelped out and then just started, like, really clapping hard. And then all of a sudden, like, everyone was like, oh, crap, that guy's clapping. We should clap, too. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> I'm like the guy who started the wave at the baseball game, Dan. I was like, I'm going to make this happen now. <laughs> um, My theater exploded. And I, I mean that literally. Like, uh, the guy in front of me, like, flew out of his seat nearly into the row in front of him. Like, he was just so animated by it. My brain couldn't process it fast enough. It was just like, oh, my God, that is happening right now. Uh, it was so cool. And totally earned, too, because we we established in Age of Ultron, among other things, that Cat was kind of able to budge the, th- the the hammer a bit. So and then so like and that's I mean it's also worth bringing up when we talk about this scene, just the the callbacks galore of this movie. I mean they really do pay off so many things, large and small. I mean, you know, after this scene, of course, when when the people start returning, you know, the first voice that. Uh, Cap here is his Falcon saying on your left, which is how the two characters were introduced in Winter Soldier. I mean, it's the stuff like that where I was just like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, like it's brilliant to bring it all back together in that way. I mean, they even call back to like Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, where like Ant-Man, you know, is calling Cap by, you know, Cap. He's like, yeah, we call him Cap. And she makes fun of him about it. And in this moment, she like looks at him and is like, you know, like, oh, let's go, you know, get Cap or whatever the line is. Like, it's it's a super obscure, but like, man, they are just everywhere. They just like wrote a list and like, how do we pay all this stuff off at once? Uh, it was really incredible. The, sh- the shot of them all running towards Thanos' forces is just unreal. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's just one for the ages, uh, I, you know. You didn't think they'd top the thing in like Age of Ultron, right? But suddenly here's like a hundred people. Yeah. All yeah. of whom we love running in one direction. It was fabulous. Yeah. And of course, like it's preceded by our one and only full utterance of the famous line, Avengers Assemble. I mean, again, like I I, I cheered. <laughs> I mean, what restraint to hold it for this moment? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think we all must have suspected because, like, for them to not have done that for so long, they must have been holding it for a good moment. And yeah, no better moment than here. And then we also get some. So, of course, at this point, we finally have some Spider Man moments. Um, and there were some fun ones, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, the first one is the one that I texted you about when I left <laughs> the theater. I was like, this movie's great. But there's going to be a moment that you and I are going to want to discuss as questionable. And uh, you left the theater and said exactly that. You're like, I know exactly the moment that you want to talk about. 
and it's the kill mode initiated yeah. moment. So P- Peter is drowning in those like war dog things, alien dogs or whatever, and you can see his eyes go black with the red dots from Homecoming, and it's kill mode. What do you think about kill mode, Mark? On one breath, the Spider-Man that we kind of know and love, he doesn't he doesn't knowingly kill. Um, Even uh, with his back against the wall, he always tries to find another way. Yet, you know, this is not the same Spider-Man, A, but B, you know, they're alien dogs. Does it matter? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't care. I laughed and was like, well, make a mental note of that one. Exactly. But, you know, he also got to swing around with the gauntlet for a bit. And he had some really great Tony moments, which, of course, are going to be setting up in um, Far From Home, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but, you know, again, for, for considering how little FaceTime he actually gets in this movie, like his presence is kind of I mean, it's felt in this big climax scene, but also like. You know, Tony says early on he lost the kid. I mean, like it's it, it, it's a driver. I think you know Spider-Man's presence is felt in this movie, you know, in its own unique way. Yeah, and him telling Tony that he did a good job, like the reverse scene of Peter dying on like Tony dying, I thought was really powerful. You know, you know, as set up also by like Tony looking at Peter's picture in the first act, where it's like, yeah, he has a kid. But he also lost, like, another, like, surrogate son character. I thought, like, everything they did with Peter, I totally bought 100%. And for me, all the people that really, like, moan about, like, Uncle Ben not existing and Tony being the new Uncle Ben, for me, this movie did a lot to quiet all of my feelings about that. It's like, you know, if they're gonna do the Uncle Ben thing with Tony, like, I, I, after this movie, I'll, I'll buy it. You, you know what I mean? Like, they did a lot of work to make those characters' relationships really powerful. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, as as we alluded to early on, of course, Tony Stark gets the ultimate hero movie, a hero moment of this movie, saves the universe, and revisits his I Am Iron Man line, which was great. Um, although, I got to say, probably did not get the did not get cheers because we all saw what was coming next. And, and I think everyone knew that once he snapped those fingers that Tony Stark was not surviving that snap, right? That didn't surprise you, did it? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, but I mean, what a way to do it. I mean, yeah. uh, I think people gasped in my theater and there were cheers. I mean, that people definitely cheered when they saw the gauntlet that was like reforming on his hand. You know, like that was like a big moment. But yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, you know, tinged with, you know, what's coming, you know, uh, he, he's headed out. Um, I, I guess, I mean, I think we all kind of assumed that something would happen with Tony in this, you know, this, these movies, because they just, you know, they're building to something and Downey Jr. is just too expensive to keep bringing back, you know, uh, not that these movies worry about money anymore because they printed, what is it, two and a half billion dollars worth of money right now. Right, right. Yeah, so that, that can buy you a Robert Downey Jr. any day of the week. But yeah, I mean, narratively, this was where it's always been going, and uh, I've loved it. I thought absolutely the right way to handle it. Yeah, I mean, definitely the right way for him. Um, I really did like Cap's resolution in this movie. I know 
not just you and our conversations privately, but other people I talked to had some issues with how they ended Cap. But like for me, it felt very poetic. I mean, maybe maybe I just was happy he didn't die. <laughs> like I, 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 like they, they found a way to end his story in a way where it didn't end him being you know buried in the ground. Maybe that's all I was looking for. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I, I appreciated the fact that, you know, in going back in time to return the stones, which, again, is problematic in its own right, because how do you return these things um, that he, you know, basically chose to finally live the life that he never got to live. And it, it felt very sentimental in a way that these movies really haven't been and kind of added to the gratification that I got out of this movie. But I know you have, at least with the mechanics of it, some issues, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll say, like, in the theater, it moved me to tears, and I thought it was 100% emotionally the right decision, you know? And oftentimes, emotion, I'll go for emotion over logic any day of the week, you know? Uh, and, and I don't think I even questioned it, like, until, like, a day later that I, like, these things started circling in my head, like, wait a minute, how did that work, you know? How did you put the stones back? kind of thing. But, um, I mean, obviously I thought the stuff with him was really beautiful. The technology of it, like he looked like Clint Eastwood, but then you look closer and you're like, Oh no, that's actually Chris Evans, you know, with digital makeup. I thought it was seamless, incredible. Um, and handing the shield over to Falcon was a beautiful moment with Falcon saying like, I feel like I'm borrowing someone else's you know yeah it's someone else's and he's like no it's always been yours uh you know too it's such a loaded moment it's so powerful that like this black man is being told by this like white representation of america that like no it's like it's yours too is an incredibly powerful moment although i do feel like Bucky kind of earned it. I like like Bucky really got shortchanged in this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he gets no goodbye moments with like Cap, like at all, at, for being a guy that like so many of the riffs of the Avengers were built on the back of, uh, like like Cap's uh, you know allegiance to him. But anyway, my bigger problem is more like that they spend so much time in this movie setting up that like if you go into the past, you can't affect the future. Like, it just creates divergent timelines. So sending Cap back to those other timelines to put the stones back, uh, you know, before they were stolen or, like, at, right after they were stolen, that makes sense. But then Cap shouldn't be able to arrive in our current future if that was or present if that was the rule. Like, it just breaks all of their rules. And there's an easy solution, which is just to have... Either like Cap's like, hey, I stole some extra pin particles and devised my own time travel device or something. Or he even just comes back in the teleport pod as an old man. You still get the visual shock of that. I guess it's less poetic than him sitting on the bench. Right, right. But like you don't have that question. And it's funny because they have had these interviews with the writers and Kevin Feige who both disagree on the ending of this movie and how it works. So it seems pretty clear to me that like they both had a misunderstanding and no one really bothered to address it. Hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, it just it's a weird thing to like in the to feel so satisfied in the moment to have this thing lingering, which is what you don't want to have happen. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, 
And then I guess, you know, my kind of like after the fact big problem with just some certain things with this movie, not necessarily, I mean, related to this cat moment, but kind of other offshoots of it is again, going back to that five year jump. Like I understood why they did it. And we talked earlier about why it worked. Um, but like, you know, there, there was a part of me until literally the very, very end of that movie that figured that the way this would all get resolved would be, you know, to somehow kind of reverse the snap, you know, so that it just didn't, it didn't happen in a way that obliterated half the world. And instead we, what we, what we did is we, we moved ahead five years and now we're bringing everybody back. So it's clear it, it, it seems to me, first of all, that everyone who got snapped out knows they died, right? Like, it's not like, yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, like, I'm sure we're going to deal with it to it, you know, to a degree in these movies. Um, but I mean, that kind of, that's going to color all the movies with Black Panther and Spider-Man and everyone else going forward. And maybe a way, I don't know if Marvel, I guess what I'm thinking where I'm, what I'm getting at is to, I, I wonder if Marvel's truly prepared to deal with the ramifications that come with how they left the universe. Because, um, you know, we talk about this in comics a lot, Dan, especially like the superior Spider-Man arc, how like we never, you know, we never truly got like Peter coming to terms with what happened when Otto was in his body. And I'm wondering, are they going to do that? Are they going to come to terms with everything that they did five years later? Because first of all, the infrastructure of the, of the, of planet earth, it's going to be screwed now because like they just, they, they are, they have, they, we have, we were a planet that was, you know, how many billion people less now? And now there's just a surge of people coming back into the world. Like, how is that going to happen? How is that going to work? That just says it's going to be chaos. Right. I mean, like, like it's like, and I don't think it's going to, and then looking at far from home, it's clear that they're setting this up that not only was, Peter snapped out and but like it looks like Aunt May was snapped out all of his classmates were snapped out and and that's how we're going to tell the story is like I mean like it, it just it just seems a little too convenient um and it, it probably, is very convenient yes. yeah um and it's just like you know to me like you know like this this whole mechanism was put into effect to make Tony's sacrifice mean more because he was leaving his daughter behind but like I feel like you still could have gotten that result if they had done something where, I don't know, like they had to basically go back to the original point of the snap and undo it. And, you know, Tony's sacrifice would have been that his daughter never came into existence. You know what I mean? Like that to me would have been equally kind of momentous. Um, but alas, that's not what they did. And I'm not trying to tell them to rewrite it, but I just feel like like doing it this way and jumping ahead and, and you know, creating these loopholes, like you said, like Cap and his story, Tony and his story, Peter Parker and his story, T'Challa, everything. It's just going to, it's really going to create a lot of problems that they're going to have to either explain away or they're just going to ignore it and we're going to just have to be okay with that. And I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, it's fun, funny you mention all that. I, I, I've I've been thinking about it a lot too, and I think a lot of it really depends on like how, yeah how they handle it moving forward. And before we got the second Far From Home trailer, I was very concerned because they were selling it as like a lighthearted romp with Spider Man, 
And it's like, I don't really know that this character could like experience something like that. Right. You know, uh, like, I don't know if Aunt May would even let him go on vacation after this. Like, I would never let that child out of my sight right? ever again. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I guess if she was snapped away, too, they didn't really lose time together. Yeah, I, I was concerned about it. You know, it's funny. My former podcasting co-host, uh, Brian Rowan, uh, he, you know, and I did a lot of movie podcasts together. And he really hated this movie and went on another podcast that I was on called the Slash Filmcast to talk about why he hated it. And he specifically had a trouble with the movie's uh, impression of gr- guilt, uh, not guilt, grief, and how it's handled in the idea that, like, you know, people, you know, in re- the real world, when something sad or death happens to you, you have to find a way to move on. But in this world, you know, the heroes are rewarded for the virtue of not ever moving on. Um, and I understand that kind of morally moral complications, although in this universe, there's a device that literally allows you to not move on. You know, that there is still hope after people die. But there, you know, we're suddenly in a world that's full of like all kinds of really dark uh, material. You know, like if your wife was snapped, snapped away and you moved on in those five years and she suddenly reappears... Right. You, you know, like, where are you left? Um, and I think it really, it depends on how these movies really follow it up. And I think it's a tough place to be because, you know, the joy of comics is that they ask you to take them both seriously and take them as ridiculous. And I think it's really what makes the medium tough for a lot of people to really get into. You're kind of asked to do both things, like accept the insanity of it, but also take it somewhat seriously. Hmm. And I feel like the Marvel cinematic movies have asked us to take it more seriously than a lot of the comics ever have. Like the world is inherently more grounded. All the designs are based off of Captain America and Iron Man's more grounded approach. Even Spider-Man is a more grounded street level hero in, in some ways. Um, and the stakes of the five years are meant for us to go like, oh, we really wanted you to experience grief. And if they just brush all that away, it's going to feel extra painful and really undermine the series in a big way. So I was thrilled to see the Far From Home second trailer, which seems to be very much handling this. And we'll see when the movie ultimately comes out. But like what I've seen so far has me a little more optimistic than I originally was. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's why don't we just jump right to it in terms of the trailer? I mean, you know, this new trailer that came out, uh, actually, it was a few days after I got to see Endgame. So thank goodness I saw it, right? Because, I mean, spoilers galore. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, 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 we're dealing in a world where these characters are dealing with the ramifications of what happened. I mean, you know, it, it, it looks like, you know, well, obviously, Peter is mourning Tony. And they're kind of like setting Peter up as like, you know, is he... I don't want to say Iron Man Jr., but is he going to carry on the legacy of Tony or I'm going to presume or is he going to make his own legacy, right? I think that's probably going to be the upshot of this movie. I hope that would be nice. It seems to be the theme of every Spider-Man movie now, which is like, you don't need to be someone else. You can be you. Like, we got that in Homecoming. We got that in Spider-Verse. And it seems like we'll probably get that here, too. Right, right. Everyone can be Spider-Man, but only you can be you. I mean, <laughs> I, I, re- I, yeah, I mean, I think that's what we're getting here. Uh, um, I'm curious because we've seen the tease about Uncle Ben, 
you know, being mentioned in this movie in the first trailer with his, you know, initials on the suitcase. Right. Like, I feel like this might be, they might see it as an opportunity to dive back into that story. And, you know, in the loss of Tony, the loss of his uncle, and the appearance of this Mysterio character, which seems like they're setting him up to be like another sort of like father figure or like, uh, you know, person to look up to for Spider-Man. That like the idea that like these figures can lie to you or be deceiving or not be what they appear to be. And it's best to form your own identity instead of trusting in others. You know, I don't think there's a way that Spider-Man leaves far from home being like, I signed up for shield and everything is going to go just fine. Like, uh, I don't think that's ultimately where we're going to end up. No, probably not. Um, and that, and I'm, I'm fine with that because that also feels appropriate for Spider-Man. I mean, he, 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 he is ultimately the loner and the outcast, so, you know, let's not make him be so ingratiating to these elder figures that maybe don't warrant the trust. The Obviously, the other big thing to come out of this trailer is uh, when Mysterio appears, he's promoted as being from another timeline, correct? Or, or dimension? Or how do, how do we want to... How do we, what's, the, what's the verbiage here? They say the multiverse explicitly. They you say know? the multiverse, and now, um, of course, and they, that that the snap from Thanos ripped a hole in the multiverse that brought Mysterio here. Now, of course, we're dealing with Mysterio, who people familiar with the comics will know is a as a character known for his deception. So you know, like we're seeing all this, and it's like, is Mysterio on the level here? Is this really all true? With that said. Creating a multiverse has a opens up a ton of really interesting narrative choices for Marvel here, right? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I think we can. There's there's many different ways the deception of Mysterio can play out. You know, like whether he's lying about a multiverse. And if you watch the clip from the Ellen Show, there's like a longer clip that basically Mysterio says he's from Universe Eight Three Three. And that our universe, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is 616, even though that's canonically incorrect. Right. Uh, 833 is the Captain Britain universe. Huh. Like, so that's interesting. I mean, if he's lying about the multiverse, that's one thing. If he's lying about being a hero from another universe, I think there's another chance that he's a villain who saw an opportunity to go somewhere else and fake pose as a hero. Uh, like that seems far more likely to me. I agree with that. Yeah. My suspicion is like that he's a villain and he's posing as a hero and using Spider-Man as a distraction for a series of heists in this universe across Europe. Like that, like I think that's where it's going. Yeah. And of course that will, you know, cause we are, we're also supposed to be getting Jonah and the daily bugle in this movie. Right. So that would make sense that, Spider-Man would be manipulated by Mysterio in a way that would have him do bad things inadvertently. I mean, this makes sense, right? Right. This sets up people to not like Spider-Man, and then we've got the like classic status quo all but established. He's a loner. No one likes him. You know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and even in the scene, you know, where we meet, you know, Quentin Beck and, and, and Nick Fury and all that, there's a character in the background that's kind of like... Uh, bearded character that was a, a casting call went out and this guy was cast as Dimitri. Now it's spelled differently than the Dimitri in the comics, 
But those of you in the know know that the chameleon is Dmitry Smerdyakov, which I don't think I've ever said out loud before. There you go. It sounds great. Now, he's the, what, the half, is he a half brother of Craven? Or what's the, I always forget the, the familial relation there. Yeah, I believe he's a half brother to Craven. And, you know, if the chameleon is in that scene, I mean, who knows? Is Nick Fury Nick Fury? Is he the chameleon? Right. Like, you know, are, are, are the, is even that part of the deception? Like, I could very well see Mysterio, you know, using fake shield to convince Spider-Man of things. Um, you know, then there's the whole, you know, idea is like, is, the, is Mysterio another version of Peter Parker? Right. Uh, that I've seen bounded around, you know, around on the internet. Um, I thought that the Jake Gyllenhaal announcement that he was playing Mysterio was really interesting on his Instagram. He like captioned it. Wait, I'm not playing Peter Parker. And it's, he's holding up the comic. I think it's issue three thirteen, where it's Mysterio right. with the bowl, the bowl with Spider-Man's image in yes. it. Yes. Yeah. The McFarlane cover. Right. Right. And, and, you know, um, Jake Gyllenhaal all, uh, famously was cast as Spider-Man for Spider-Man 2 when, it, uh, you know, when, when Toby was threatening not to come back. Well, he was also injured, too. Wasn't that part of it, too, that they thought he was too, that he might have been too injured? Well, I know. Yeah. Yeah. His agents were milking that to try to get more money for yeah. him to, play, to be in the movie. It's a whole complicated thing for another t- day. You know, I, I could see them having fun with, like, him being Peter Parker in some way, uh, like a dark reflection of him, or who knows. Uh, but I don't think anybody should trust Mysterio for a second. Well, going on the assumption that we do have a multiverse now, lots like like I said earlier, lots of really cool directions they can go. I mean, let's let's talk about a couple that we know from the comics. I mean, the first, of course, I mean. I felt like we already got a lot of homage paid to Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run with like Thanos and the Black Order and all that in these movies. Um, now, of course, the other part of that run with Hickman were, you know, and that, and that also brought in the Fantastic Four were the incursions, you know, the the the, the universes colliding, essentially. Um, and they seem to be setting things up where, you know, those stories could be told in this universe, right? I mean, they did tease Namor in this movie. They talk about, like, the underwater earthquakes that have been going on around the globe. Yep. And, like, that was not a mistake to add that line. Like, it's clearly they're setting up Namor. And anybody who's read that Avengers run, you know, knows that, like, Black Panther and Namor are, like, at the heart of that story. Like both are asked to do compromising things to, you know, like save their universe and their kingdoms, you know, and both Atlantis and I believe Wakanda get destroyed in the process. Uh, and both characters get very much like corrupted as part of like the Illuminati and all, all of that stuff. Right. Right. I mean, definitely, definitely deep, heavy stuff that we haven't totally gotten in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet, but potential is there. Um, of course, you know, the other thing that is in the background of all this is Marvel or excuse me, Disney had recently purchased uh, 20th Century Fox, which owns the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Um, now, you know, the X-Men whether you like those movies or not, have kind of had their own successful 
franchise, to, you know, going on for decades now. Um, whereas the Fantastic Four, they just haven't gotten right yet. But you know, a lot, there's been a lot of speculation with that acquisition. How would would those characters be brought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I mean, what would they do? Certainly, having a multiverse where you know maybe these characters are off doing their own thing on their own timelines, and then you know, get brought in somehow would be an easier way to transition them in without having this need to kind of reintroduce everybody again, right? Or at least to kind of like verify that like those stories happened somewhere else and, you know, they're not forget forgotten, you know, like Wolverine still died and went through that whole journey, you know, but before Marvel does their own take on them. I mean, Kevin Feige has said that the X-Men are a long ways off in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I think they probably just want to let people have a bit of a break from that before they reboot the whole thing. Like, which was what I suspect. I don't think they're bringing over, like, Sophie Turner or any... I mean, the only one that I could see them doing is maybe Deadpool, you know, because like, that character is such a phenomenon on its own and would work kind of being knowingly self-aware about, you know, all the universes and, and stuff like that. I mean... Mostly, I just see it as a way for them to go, like, we know there are fans of this, and we acknowledge your stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, But with the Fantastic Four, I think maybe the opposite. Like, I, you know, the X-Men could have been operating in secret, as they're supposed to be doing, you know, for years in the Marvel Universe. Whereas the Fantastic Four, like, I feel like they're going to bring them in, you know, probably established in some way. Uh, like they've been just in another universe this whole time, stuck in another universe, and this could be a way to bring them them back. I mean, if they're going to do the incursions, I could very well see them doing some of Hickman's Fantastic Four run with the like Council of Reeds oh. and all of that stuff. That would be really neat to yeah, see on screen. Absolutely, um, and of course the other alternative universe character that we have not mentioned yet that we have not seen at least in live action would be Miles Morales. And, and the same can be said, I mean, we had a, a Venom movie, which for better or worse was successful, uh, that was made by Sony that did not include Spider-Man. And, you know, if we have a, a multiverse, maybe that is a way to bring those universes together cinematically. God help us. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that Sony is going to feel empowered by Venom's success. And so I think it'll be interesting. You know, Amy Pascal is leaving Sony to go to Universal, I believe, mm-hmm. but she's still remaining attached to the Spider-Man franchise at Sony, which to me is good news for anyone who wants the MCU Spider-Man deal to continue because she was the architect behind that. Right. So like, I think, you know, Spider-Man will continue to be an MCU character, but I could very much see them going, well, he's a dimension hopping guy. So now we'll get Spider-Man to show up in Venom 3 and he can be a part of our villains universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe through some twisted ways. And, you know, maybe we'll just find a way to ignore what Sony is doing. Right. Although Spider-Verse is good enough. I mean, not good enough. It's amazing. So maybe if they get some of those minds, they can make it all work in a way that we'll be happier about. Absolutely. Um, now, the other end of this, if we're not going to if we're not going to go total multiverse with it but like could be a a future direction for phase four or phase one part two or however we're going to call it uh, of of the mcu um of course is the big secret invasion uh we already have the scrolls from captain marvel and you know we're we're dealing with 
I know you were mentioning Chameleon, but like, I mean, there's definitely this element now with are is are these characters who they say they are in this universe, uh, which would play up Secret Invasion. Of course, I feel for me, I almost feel like it's too obvious, but like maybe it's too obvious because I'm a big comic fan and I just know that everyone who associates with Marvel just love Secret Invasion. I, I'm actually this way in that with it as a story. I, I, I don't love it the way some do, but like it just seems like it's the obvious, like if we're going to do a big event that's not Infinity Gauntlet, we got to do Secret Invasion next, right? I mean, it just seems like that's the one that everyone always kind of goes back to. Well, I, I thought that Captain Marvel would have done more to set up. You know, I had this whole theory about General Ross and stuff that seems very much now like a pipe dream, but like I thought they would have done more in Captain Marvel to set up that the Skrulls are staying on Earth and, you know, seed that thing in the 90s, but they def- they did not at all. In fact, they subverted the Skrulls, which I thought was re- the, one of the coolest parts about that movie, making the Skrulls like good guys uh, right. was, was really interesting. But there have been some rumors floating around about Dark Avengers out there, and so like if you're going to do something new with Norman Osborn, which... Foggy has said he has plans for Norman Osborn. You know, to me, that would be the direction to go to do the Dark Avengers movie and do the, you know, the setup for Secret Invasion and Norman Osborn. And, and, you know, we've even got Thor who needs to establish a new Asgard, which could play into Siege and, and those storylines from the past. I mean, there's no way they're not going to try to do the Broxton story with Thor, right? I mean, like... That seems like an obvious place to take that character. And I believe Chris Hendrick just signed on for four more movies with Marvel. So, I mean, are we going to get the Sentry tearing Thor in half now? I don't know, uh, as, as the end of his story. <laughs> I think, like, I think both could be true. I mean, I think you could very well do a secret invasion as the, like, Age of Ultron to then the next capper, you know, the incursion storylines and ending in Secret Wars, which then ultimately would bring Miles into the universe and use him to replace Peter. I mean, I think there's many ways you could go. And, uh, you know, they've certainly set up a lot for them to move with. There's a lot of chess pieces still floating out there. Definitely. Well, Dan, we've talked a long time on this. (laughs) And that's not me trying to rush us off. But I mean, there's a lot of directions to go here. And I don't know. Do you have anything else? Any other final thoughts that you want to say about Endgame and or the future of Marvel? I mean, this is a lot to process, right? I mean, which is what you would expect after a three-hour movie and then a trailer that kind of turns everything on its ear. <laughs> I mean, I think it's crazy that two weeks after this Endgame movie, we're already moving on to the next thing. Like these things are on fast forward in a way that I find exciting and also kind of like disquieting. Like I don't like. It almost is like treating Endgame like the latest episode of a TV show. Right. And like it's weird for the culture to kind of just move on that quickly. Like even in our conversation, we've moved on to speculating for the next thing. And I'm really keen on revisiting Endgame again because I just – I think it's really a special movie for all of its, you know, faults as well. Like it's amazing to me that like this thing exists. We got 22 movies. You know, not all of them I love. But, like, they're all of a consistent quality. It still is astonishing, even 22 movies in, that this exists and continues. And if Endgame was the final movie, I think I would be thrilled by it. But, God, I mean, like, this train seems like it's never going to stop. 
Yeah, I mean, that's just it. I, I, I agree with you in that, like, if this was it, I, I, I think it's a good place to end. But I also feel like, how could this possibly be it? Like, you know, like you said, I mean, not only are they successful, but I mean, that's the nature of comics. It's it's going forever. Peter, Spider-Man dies and comes back and all these characters do. And, you know, we're still talking about these stories 50, 60 years later. So, of course, like with these movies, like once once it starts going, I mean, it's just it just comes down to, I mean, the way that they have to be creative in keeping the comics fresh. They just got to find a way to make sure that these movies stay fresh. And um, certainly some of the things that were introduced both in Endgame and then in, in the first trailer or the trailer that followed Endgame will allow them to do f- some fresh things, it seems. I'm really excited about it. Like, I think there's enough going on that, like, I don't know where it's going, you know, despite all of my, you know, comics knowledge. Yeah, I, I think it's a thrilling time to still be an MCU fan, even though it seems to have ended. Uh, it's 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 fabulous, and uh, I, I'm so thrilled about it. Um, now, if we could only just get those people to pick up a comic book. There you go. All right, Dan, why don't you bring us on home? Yeah, well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this special episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Mark, we took a bit of a pause from our regular show, which seems to be happening more often than not, but there's... Just so much going on in the world in terms of Marvel and Spider-Man. Um, what do we got lined up next for the show? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, Dan, our, I think our breaks, they're not break breaks. It's We're giving them other content, you know? So, yeah. you know, but yes, for those following the season three thread, uh, our next episode in that lineup will be all about Marvel team up. And that will be coming out soon. And then uh, there will also be a review roundup of the first few issues of The Hunted Story. So keep your eyes on your feed for those awesome uh, episodes. Awesome, Mark. I'm I'm quickly burning through my Marvel team up issues one through 70. So if you want to join us for that, crack open some books. Uh, it's going to be a fun episode. Absolutely. And also for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 21, a.k.a. issue 822. Uh, There's no better place to join on the Patreon bandwagon than to join us for our exciting coverage of the Nick Spencer run. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome Awesome commissioned artwork this season from Barry Kitson. Awesome. Also, be sure to check out our sister show, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, and our amazing Spider-Slack community where we were talking Spider-Man 24-7. There's a link in the show notes that'll guide you over there, and it's like basically our own private forum just to talk about comics, but mainly about Spider-Man. Uh, we have a lot of fun over there, so I hope you might consider joining us. Mark, if people wanted to follow you online, where would they find you? Well, I'm back on Twitter, Dan, and you can find me at ASM blog there. And, of course, you can buy my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. How about you? Yeah, I'm also on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. I'm talking Spider-Man all the live long day and, you know, all kinds of other various things. I think I've stopped posting about video games quite as much as I used to. So now it's just back to regular Spider-Man stuff for me. Uh, Mark, it may not be true in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but our our motto rings eternal. Unless it does get brought up in Far From Home, what, what would that motto be, Mark? Oh, of course. Well, that motto would be, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next